Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. So welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast. Hey, before we dive in, Justin and I are super excited, aren't you, babe? Like, we are extremely pumped. We are extremely pumped that we have launched our marriage 24-7 membership. And if you're like, what is that? We've been praying for the past 12 years. I mean, always it's on our heart and mind. How do we come alongside couples to just be intentional in their marriage? That's why we wrote a book called Beyond Ordinary. Like, how do you find extraordinary moments in the mundane, ordinary parts of life? So we have launched Marriage 24-7. It's accessible, affordable, and just overcomes the busyness that y'all find yourselves in because we're no different and a way to be intentional in your marriage. So what is Marriage 24-7? So Marriage 24-7 is a membership. So you can either pay monthly or you can pay one time per year. It's less than the cost of one counseling session, but you're going to get 12 coaching calls, one per month. You're going to get 12 monthly masterclasses, one per month. There's a resource library that we have developed, a video vault, on-demand marriage courses. The list goes on and on, Trish. I know, and people are thinking, oh my gosh. How are we supposed to do that? You guys, we are so pumped because this was built around the knowledge that we have five kids, <laughs> but really six because one is married and we love her like a daughter and life is busy. And we have been praying about how do we just make it accessible and easy. And so in the portal, you are going to find what we call easy wins, just discussion questions, just way to connect. And then if you want to go deeper, you will have archived videos and like Justin said, on-demand courses. The whole point is that every day you can be intentional with your lovey. So you can go to refineus.org slash marriage 247 and you can find out more information. And again, it's the cost of one counseling session, actually less than the cost of one counseling session. You can have a year's worth of marriage help so you can thrive every day. So we hope that you will join us on this journey. And uh, as we dive into episode 12 of the Let's Get Real podcast. Well, hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. And Trish, we have an unbelievable guest today. I'm really excited uh, because I don't typically get fanboy, um, but today I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I don't know how true that statement is. (laughs) We'll have to share... The mall. Yeah, I did get story fan- at some point. Maybe did, not right now. I but did get fanboy over Michael Tate, Michael Jordan. Uh, the, the list goes on. Yeah, I, yeah. I am a fanboy. And yes. today's guest, I am a huge fan of. Uh, we are going to be joined by author Gary Thomas. And if you're not familiar with Gary, you may be familiar with his books. Uh, he is the author of Sacred Marriage which is one of the best-selling marriage books of all time. It's sold probably over a million copies at this point. For sure, yeah. And he's also wrote a lot of other sacred books. And by that, <laughs> I mean Sacred Pathways, which actually was the very first book I read of Gary's. It's not as popular, but it is. it was foundational and instrumental in my spiritual life. Sacred Pathways is a phenomenal book. He recently uh, wrote a book called Sacred Search, for those of you that may be dating or single. Um, one of his other books is called when to walk away. It's all about boundaries in the context of abusive relationships. Uh, but he has been an incredible friend to us. Um, we were living in Nashville. He reached out to us and took us out to lunch at J Alexander's, which anybody that does that is a friend for life. It's true. But like 
you fanboying in like real time in the presence of the person was something to behold. But Gary just handled it with such grace and kindness. And he's just a good dude. So we're excited about this episode of the Let's Get Real podcast with our friend Gary Thomas. Gary, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, guys. Great to see you again and get to talk with you, even though we're being recorded. I know. I feel like we'd yeah. just be getting over a cup of coffee if we were um, yes. the same we town. For those of you that don't know, Gary is an author. He is a pastor. Um, he is on staff at a church uh, in Houston, Texas. But um, what the listeners may not know, Gary, is you have written my favorite marriage book of all time. True. And it's uh, not sacred, ours. Sacred Marriage. And uh, I, I read that book um, right after it came out, and it just it transformed how I thought about marriage. It transformed how I taught about marriage. Um, I wish it would have transformed our marriage a little bit more when I first read it. Um, because we did still go through some, some really, um, you know, some really bad stuff in our marriage uh, relationship, but, um, I did read it again after our separation and just the truth of it. And we'll get into it in just a minute, but I just want you to know, um, a little funny story. When we first met, we, we had lunch together. Your agent is a good friend of ours, uh, Curtis Yates. Yes. And I think he kind of set us up on a lunch. You were coming in town, maybe to, we were living in Nashville and he came in town to speak at Lipscomb or Belmont. I don't remember where you were speaking at. Um, but you were speaking that week at, uh, at one of the colleges in Nashville. And I just remember you sat down and you said, Hey, let's talk about your book. And, uh, we said, okay. You're like, who wrote it? And uh, that, that was like the first question you asked us. And uh, I was like, what, 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 what do you what, mean? What do you mean? <laughs> so for those that don't know, there is a world of ghostwriters. I remember saying that. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a world of ghostwriters. Well, uh, I think now we've been in the author world long enough to, know what that even means yeah. but we were both like what what does that mean you know so Trish is like so I wrote every, other than the one paragraph in chapter five I wrote every minute of, of that book <laughs> well and you knew that was a compliment too Absolutely. See, I, Absolutely. I, I love 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 the writing process uh, I really do and I I was on the other side I was a ghostwriter before sacred marriage just trying to feed my family before my own books could and so I really look forward to it, but I'm always, you know, when a, a couple comes out, it's not usually right or something. I'm always kind of looking in the background to see what's going on, just figuring out what's happening. Which is totally fair because you hear a lot of people have incredible stories, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. writers. And so they need that support. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if we knew back then it would look <laughs> different. So. Well, but I don't, I don't think it's nefarious at all. In fact, I did a book with John Ashcroft and my name is on the cover. So it's not like he was hiding it at all. He was a former senator, former governor, state of Missouri, and he just has a busy life. I mean, he's in government. And so when I would try to get with him to set up the interviews and whatnot, his chief of staff would really literally say to me, how many units do you need? And by that, he meant 15 minute blocks. Oh, and that's wow. when I knew I never wanted to be a center. Somebody's <laughs> dividing my time in 15 minute blocks. But he had so much to say. John Ashcroft is a godly man. He's a wise man. He's a man of integrity. But he didn't have time to sit down and type and craft mm -hmm. sentences. But we would go over the manuscript word for word. And I really felt like that was an experience of full 100% integrity. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are the other end of the spectrum out there with some Christian books where you get a famous celebrity that slaps his name on it and doesn't even know. I, the famous one was a sports celebrity who said he was misquoted in his autobiography. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave him nameless. But that was sort of the 
the gig going where he'd never even read his own book, obviously. Oh, that's when, funny. when did you fall in love with writing, Gary? Like, when did you know, like, this is this is something I really enjoy doing because it is a labor of love for sure. Yeah, I was eight years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I look, I fell in love with reading. I'm the third of four kids. Always felt a little bit like an outsider in my family. And um, I was just drawn to books and words. And the problem is like writing. It's like photography. It's like music. Everybody can do it. The trick is getting paid for it. Right. But I'm, I'm, I can't tell you how grateful I am to God that it worked out because there's literally nothing else anybody would pay me for. I mean, (laughs) maybe the teaching end, but I I have no mechanical skills. I have no, I don't like to be an administrator. I would never just be a senior pastor of a church. It's just the administrators. It's just not me. I'm not very good with numbers. Uh, So it was, I'm just very thankful that God allowed this to work to feed my family, or it would have been a different life entirely. Mm. We'll go back. Um, you, you mentioned your family. Talk, give us a little background about like kind of, kind of who you are. I know you're, you live in Houston. Uh, you have kids, you're married. So give us a little bit of background on kind of uh, who you are and, and where yeah. you're at these days. Yeah. At least I've been married 36 years. Um, okay. I have three adult children. They've all moved away. Our oldest is back in the Pacific Northwest where we were for most of our lives. Uh, I moved to Houston here in 2010. So a little okay. over 10 years ago. Uh, I was self-employed before then, was doing fine just as a writer and speaker. Second was looking to add to their teaching team. And I'd gotten requests about, would you be a pastor of this church or whatnot? But I mentioned to you, I'm just not the type A administrative guy. And it was just a perfect fit. I could come here. I hardly ever have to go to meetings. Uh, I get a passage and they want me to come up and speak on it. And I'm just like, yes, I can do that. So it's been a great fit here. It's like, I don't know if there's anybody else in the nation called the writer in residence at a church, but I'm thankful that Second Baptist thought, up, thought it up. Uh, my second child is Graham. He lives in Connecticut now with his wife and our granddaughter. Uh, we only have one grandchild, but we happen to get the smartest, most adorable, cutest <laughs> grandchild in the world. So what we don't have in quantity we make up for in quality and then my youngest is in philly she's worked with a magazine so she's sort of in the writing profession so it breaks my wife's heart that we're so far apart she always could have dreamed of having everybody over for sunday brunch but uh it's just where god has led us so justin's looking at me because we're you know we've married off two kids within two years and one landed literally 10 minutes from us, which I never dreamed they would. He's a youth pastor at a uh, pretty large church in town. And so that's been great. But then my second born who got married this past weekend, I mean, this past weekend, this past summer, (laughs) he um, he's moving to Portland, Oregon. Oh no. (laughs) This is is my first experience. So I may afterwards ask your wife to take me to virtual coffee and say, how, how does this happen? Because I've already planned a trip out there. I tried to figure out how I could, you know, have a apartment out there. Like <laughs> it's, it, they are close right now, but gosh, this is just such a crazy season. I thought once they started adulting, it was just like, see ya. And there's some aspect of that. I love that they have their own things, but man, this was a little bit harder transition than I thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's been um, the other night. Trish is like, um, I'm going up to Marion, which is like it's like an hour and 15 minutes from us. That's where they they live now. I'm like, what are you going up there for? I'm just going up there. I'm not gonna be able to go up there for very much longer. They're moving in May, so she's like, you have the kids and you have dinner. I'm out. I was like, all right. So it was one of those things where I started thinking, man, I need to be a little bit more intentional with the time that we do have left with them that that close, so that. Um, we can kind of get all the all the time that we can before they take off. But Which, it's been great. We got yeah. we've gotten a raise over the last couple of years because they're off our payroll. So it's, it's been true. nice. <laughs> but I think that's a great lead in to you began, you know, this book that, you know, blew up and like Justin said, has just meant so much to us. Um, I'm interested in the words you wrote then and then now here in this season of life. Um, how do your own words hit you when you think about, I would call you in the legacy season of marriage, you know, to, if you can make it 25 years, you're, you're shaping a legacy. Um, what are some lessons you guys are learning in, in this season of life? Well, I don't know that I could write sacred marriage today. Um, it was written when I'd been married about 15 years, I think. Um, and, our kids laugh. Lisa and I are not compatible. If you were to give a couple of compatibility <laughs> tests and say they're going to be the happy, I mean, Lisa is this organic, you know, farmer's market, um, non-GMO, local, not, I mean, all, there's like 12 phrases before she's going to look at something to buy it. Grass-fed is in there a lot of the times. And I grew up on cheeseburgers and nachos and Captain Crunch and Big Macs. And so um, all the great food groups. Yes. So now she she look, she has pulled me 90 percent of the way toward her. Uh, not 100 percent to her frustration, you have but, like but a Captain Crunch stash in your office. right No, now. no. See, here's the thing. I, I eat basic for cereal. Most people listeners will know that to her. That's still kind of sugary because it's cereal. <laughs> because it's not natural. So that's how far she is. I mean, I think I, I'm not talking about sugar pops or Captain Crunch. It's like it's little but um, So, you know, I think I just recognize this is not easy. And then I had such a romantic notion. I loved movies in high school and college. I'd go to all of them. And back then, um, you guys are a bit younger than me, but it was all the rom-com seasons. I mean, those were the, the movies and what, and, and all these expectations I had. And then we were so young when we got married. I was 22. Lisa was almost 20. I say that because I can't admit I married a 19 year old, <laughs> but she, she was almost 20. And so we grew up together. We were young. I was immature. I was selfish. Uh, it, it was not easy, but God used that really and that became the message, sacred marriage, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy, not instead, but really just seeing a purpose behind, okay, this isn't easy, but it's good. And God is doing a good thing through it. I've seen a side of myself I'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. um, and it was only because of God that I think we were able to make it. I was so immature. I really don't think if I wasn't a believer, I'm not sure Lisa and I would have made it. Mm -hmm. um, I just wasn't capable on my own of being in this marriage. And so 
I don't know that I could go back. And I think it's one of the things that made sacred marriage take off like it did. I'm not a marriage therapist. I don't have a PhD in psychology. So I was just talking about how God uses marriage to shape us. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I admitted was the difficulty of marriage, that even the best of marriages are difficult. And that was seen as, and it goes right along with the theme of your podcast, that was seen as a bold statement. Because yeah. back then, in the 90s, the book came out in 2000, in the 90s, apply these five principles of Jesus and marriage is great and roses and you wake up every day and you're happy and la, la, la and whatnot. And I said, no, no, <laughs> you, you have a good marriage, but it's never going to be completely an easy marriage. And I've had people push back on it even today. I did a debate about five years ago with a guy who said that, no, we don't want to stress the difficulty of marriage. Um, and I, 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 yeah. I want singles to know it's difficult because I don't want them to marry somebody who's weak and spiritually immature. If, if I'm going to climb Mount Everest, there's a certain amount of physical fitness that I'm going to need for a companion, right? If I look at somebody and says four steps and they're wheezing, I'm not going to climb Mount Everest with you. Yeah. And I think if marriage is difficult going in, you want to know do they have relational skills? Do they have a spiritual foundation? Uh, do we have the sense of friendship? Because even if it does prove to be easier than you thought it would be, you still win by marrying a mature, healthy, solid person. If you go in expecting marriage to be easy and it's difficult and you married an immature, relationally challenged person, then you're in a real problem spot. So I think just that admitting the difficulty and that God could use the difficulty was uh, a brand new message. But then the last marriage book I wrote was Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage, because Lisa and I are empty nesters. And guess what? Every study shows that if you stay together from about 35, year 35 on, you often have the same level of satisfaction that you did as newlyweds, but it's deeper because you know each other. Your brains have formed around each other. There's a rest in each other's presence. And, and I can't tell you, you guys are tasting it, but you're not quite. When you're a complete empty nester, you just have more time. We can watch shows that we like at night. Um, <laughs> we you know, we just so close, Justin. We were so close. <laughs> we, we, have our three, we, know, we had three of three older kids, 24, 22 and uh, 18. And then we three years ago, we adopted. So now we have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. They were seven and nine when they came to live with us. And so there was light at the end of the tunnel, Gary. And then we just kind of went back to the be- not like the middle of the tunnel. And so, uh, so I am a little bit jealous of that I, season. I love what he said, though. You said finding rest in each other. Our, our adopted kids are trauma kids. And it is oh, yeah. really, really rough on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in ways I probably will never publicly share because it's not my story to tell it's theirs, but Justin has been my safe place. And I know that it could have gone the opposite. So just, just knowing that we are getting a taste of that in one of the hardest um, family seasons of our life is like really encouraging that we're, we'll still have that when they're gone. (laughs) (laughs) If we, if we stay alive, if we make it. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that um, 
as we were just kind of preparing to talk with you, that statement obviously is, is the foundation of your book, you know, make you, ha- make you holy more than make you happy. But I just feel like, and maybe it's the older I get, but I, I feel like even in the church today, holiness isn't necessarily something that's talked about a lot. No. And it's perceived, you know, there's that passage in Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, um, you know, God's discipline is good for us um, because, you know, it makes us, it makes us holy. And, and, you know, there is, it is hard, but afterwards there'll be a quiet harvest of right living for those yes. who are trained in this way. Um, and so take a new grip with your tired hands, stand firm on your shaky legs. And then those who follow you, though they are weak, they will not stumble and fall, but become strong. And I think we look at passages like that and we think it sounds great on paper, but when we're experiencing God's discipline or when we're going through the stripping of being of our selfishness or um, of our self-centeredness or our immaturity, there's this perception it feels like, and I, I, this is me being old, so I'm not trying to alienate any younger listener, but it just feels like in generations that are coming up after us, and even my, even myself, like, well, God is not for me, or God is punishing me, and I think that process of holiness, or this, the concept of holiness in the American church, it, it, it's not necessarily taught, at least in my opinion, in a way that people actually grasp, oh, well, I am going through this, but I am becoming more like Christ too. Like that's God's, God's goal isn't for me to be happy and safe and achieve all my dreams. God's goal for me is to become more like Jesus. And so um, I just, I love that your book, um, it really speaks to that and it gives couples kind of a wake up call as they're reading it, um, as they're going into their, their marriage relationship. But one of the things that I think I've told you this, but long, not, I don't know how long it was before you wrote sacred marriage, you wrote the sacred pathways book. Yes. And I uh, actually quote that in our marriage conferences, um, even more than sacred marriage, because that was a really defining moment for me when I read, when I read that book. And one of the reasons why I bought sacred marriage was because I really enjoyed mm-hmm. sacred pathways, but you know, it just talks about how each of us are predisposed to experience God in different ways, yes. you know, whether that be in nature or solitude or, or, or whatever. And, and, um, and that's been super helpful for Trish and I to recognize that how I experience God is not necessarily how she experiences God. Right. And, you know, and so you have husbands and wives that, you know, the wife has her hands up in worship and, you know, and her husband's just standing there with his arms crossed and her perception could be, well, he's not as spiritually engaged as I am. Right. Well, that might just not be how he experiences the Lord. Yes. And so anyway, I just, I, I love all your writing and I got off on a really big tangent there. But, uh, <laughs> well, but, if, if you go back to holiness, well, I, I got to update sacred marriage a few years back, which I loved because, you know, you have over a decade of people reacting to it and it being misquoted and I could sort of clean up some of the strings that might, and, and one of the things I was able to use, I, I put in the John Wesley quote that I just love when he said, I've never met anybody who's truly happy, who's not pursuing holy. Mm. And I think if most people would just think about it, it's true. If your anger isn't under control, you're a miserable person because your relationships are a wreck. If you don't have lust under control, you have moments of pleasure, but you have more moments of shame and fear and regret and the anxiety of being found out. I mean, it's horrendous. If you're negative or materialistic, you're never content, you're never peaceful, you're never satisfied. Sin makes us miserable. And for me, I, I, I read Christian classics just about every day. I was reading about 
you know, just have been in Basel lately. And, and the thing I found is that they stressed holiness and today's church stresses salvation. And that's the difference Uh, to them. It's not enough just to get that decision. It's about becoming more like Christ. Uh, And there's so many passages. One of Peter's first sermons in the book of Acts, Acts chapter three. So we're at the very start. The beginning of a sermon, he goes, God sent his servant referring to Jesus to bless us by turning us from our evil ways. And so he said, this isn't a heavy legalistic condemnatory thing. This is God wants to bless you. So you don't have to act in anger. You don't have to let money rule you. You don't have to be filled with malice and spite or have lust determine how you relate to other people. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in Matthew 6, 33. Peter said, in second peter chapter one make every effort to add to your faith goodness and he says if we have these and and he goes on and mentions all these virtues if we have them an increasing measure will be effective and productive or if we don't have will be ineffective and unproductive in our faith uh, paul <laughs> he, he he says to the corinthians um let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I've just mentioned all the major New Testament writers. They're all clear. It's not just about salvation. We should pursue holiness, not this legalistic, fear-mongering, am I going to get to heaven holiness? I like to say, it's not about me getting into heaven. It's really about me not wanting to make my wife feel like she's in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Because wherever I'm not holy... She pays the price. That's yeah. You guys know that from your own story. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you've been open, Trisha, where you pay the price, where Justin isn't walking and following the Lord. Justin, you pay the price when wherever Trisha might be wandering off. And so um, for me, it's not wanting to take my marriage vows for granted and saying to Lisa, I can't give you a husband with hair. <laughs> Justin, we, we may be the last bald <laughs> generation, I know. Um, I, I can't, you know, I don't look like Brad Pitt, but you know what? I can, I can pursue gentleness and kindness and mm. patience and self-control. Uh, and so I might as well do that. So Gary, like in that knowledge of all of the hard, it's so funny when you said that I was chuckling because when I do marriage counseling and we talk about these hard things, sometimes especially the bride will get frustrated with me. Like this is a downer. And then about six <laughs> months into marriage, I'm so grateful you had that hard conversation with me because yeah. um, you're going to find out. Yeah. We, we, um, Justin and I, I would say were the generation of shock still, like we were still a generation. We were shocked by divorce, but it was happening, you know, like, um, our kids, that's just normal and commonplace. And so I, I've recognized in couples that they either come from a, a place of health or a place of health with this fear that they will um, become what their parents became. Right. And yes. so what I loved about what you were talking about is all of these principles, when we talk about holiness, they are timeless. They, they go beyond generation after generation. But what would you say to that young couple that are starting out? And 
now they have access to all the information and all of the things like, you know, you guys got married in your twenties, Jess and I got married in our twenties, but what we had coming at us was quite different than the young couple these days with social media and access to everybody else's uh, beautiful on Instagrammable yeah. marriages. Yeah. Um, is there anything that comes to mind or to your heart that, man, if I could be across the room from that couple, this is what I would say. Yeah. Well, I'd give them sacred marriage. I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean to. So would I, Gary. So um, would I. I wish I had read the book before I got married. I know it seems bizarre maybe for an author to say that, but I felt that way. I, some of the things I think Lisa and I did right. We didn't have a television the first few years of our marriage. Uh, and I think it was really good just to focus on our relationship. What I think younger couples don't understand that an intimate marriage takes a lot of time, more time than you realize. And when you're both working eight or nine hours a day and then commuting and trying to keep up a house, it's just so easy. There's Netflix, you know, and, yeah. you know, you're never going to empty Netflix. And so uh, I, I think just making that uh, a priority. Another thing that helped Lisa and I more like five or six years into our marriage um, was moving away from our family of origin to take a job. We were in Washington state. We moved to Washington, DC and we had to develop our own family. Then we were on our own. And I think that helped us uh, grow closer together. It's, we didn't really have a hard time leaving before cleaving, but when couples do, boy, I really stress that in premarital counseling. Mm. And, and I would say to the men, if it's your mom, that's not letting you leave, you have to take the front. Don't put it on your wife mm. and wife. If it's your parents that won't let you leave, you've got to take the front. Don't throw your husband under the bus. I wish I could be with you Thanksgiving, but you know, Frank, he just isn't going to let me, you can't yeah. do that. You're one. And you've really got to have a united front because here's the thing. Even if the first five years of marriage are easy, there's going to be a huge challenge in your life. When you get to the point where I am at 35 years, that nobody's going to say it, it's been easy. So I was at this large conference I was speaking at in, in Idaho. And apparently there's not much to do in Idaho. So they had a thousand <laughs> people come out for a marriage conference with me. So 500 couples, I had them all stand up. And I said, remain standing if marriage proved to be easier than you thought it would be. Mm. Five couples out of 500 were left standing. Liars. Now, as an English <laughs> major, I can do that, Matt. That's 1%. <laughs> it was actually less than that, though, because then when we were at the book table, a couple came up and said, Gary, I have a confession to make. Said, yeah. We were one of the couples that stood up. I said, and we've only been married 10 days. <laughs> and so, okay. You don't count. <laughs> so less than 1%. And, and it might not just be your relationship. It might be depression. It might be a debilitating injury. It might be a child that is sick or rebellious or mentally ill or not being able to have a child. Um, the, any number of things, it just, life is not easy. And so, um, that's where I just think going in. Um, and then if you have kids, what I've found, I, look, I don't like to slam younger generations. So I'm just saying as an observation, I think some of them are shocked at how much work marriage and family is. Yeah. 
because they grow up and, you know, like our, our kids didn't do all the chores we did growing up. They, they just didn't. And so they get married and boy, if you're doing your own dishes and cleaning up your house and taking care of your yard and putting the kids to bed and they just look at it. I had no idea. It's so much work to have a family when couples, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years, they would see their parents working Mm. before they got up and after they went to bed. And we just don't do that with our kids today. I mean, our oldest oldest son is one of the most responsible people (laughs) in the world. He has a five-year plan for his five-year plan. And his wife was having to rewash the dishes that he was washing because he wasn't doing it good. I was like, listen, I tried. I tried so hard. And then our middle child, who is just like he's he is a Tasmanian devil and he is um, he's genius, smart, but maybe not always the best common sense. And he would say this about himself. So don't email me if you're listening and be like, don't talk bad about your kids. But um, he got married. And I walked into his house and I walked into his bedroom and I'm like, what the heck? Wait, you were capable of, of this? Of and of, what is going what, on? It, I birthed you. Like it was so funny, but yeah, I mean, those kind of things. And, you know, even you talking about leaving and cleaving that threw me for a loop. Our, our kids, like we're all like really close, but Justin and I have never lived near family. So we've never had that expectation oh. that they would be close. And because one of my kids is close, I've almost ignored them to a fault because I'm so nervous hmm. of not letting them, you know, leave and cleave, which they did their first year of marriage. And then all of a sudden they found themselves back with this, but um, that's just like super encouraging. Like, I think when you're in the early years of your marriage, you begin to believe this lie of if we can just get through, if we can just get through grad school, or we can just get through this apartment, if we can just get through paying off student loans or debt or whatever, we have kids. Yeah. And then, and then get through toddler years and then get through the teenage years, (laughs) which if you have toddlers, I promise you, it does come to an end, (laughs) but it proves to not be a season. It proves to be your life. Like if you're always waiting till the next season, then that's not, you're not necessarily living present in the moment. Yeah. I want to switch. I want to switch gears a little bit because you wrote a, you wrote a book. It's not cherished. The book you, you wrote before cherish, I think is called when to walk away. Is that right? That was after Cherish. Oh, after but Cherish. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so that's is that your most recent book? Yes. Okay. You're, I love that so- you had to think about it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was really I was really shocked a little bit because it it the title itself lends itself to be like, man, what is that? What is going on there? Because it really is about walking away from toxic people and setting yes. boundaries in your relationships. Um, talk a little bit about that and what, what struck me about it is divorce wasn't, you know, it, it was so looked down upon when I was a kid and, you yes. know, it was, it was like almost the unimaginable sin and, um, in, amongst church people, but you have really this, this powerful message of setting boundaries in relationships and yes. making sure that, you know, you're not in an, in an abusive situation. Talk a little about the heart of the book and, and kind yeah. of what led you to write it. It was revolutionary for me, and I was embarrassed at how naive I was for decades of ministry as 
an adult. I can't count the number of times I've read the New Testament. I started reading the Bible. It's a regular daily part of my life when I was eight years old. That's when I was baptized. My Sunday school teacher gave me one of those good news for modern men. <gasps> it's got stick pictures in the Bible. I mean, that was, <laughs> but it was a wonderful gift. And, and so I was shocked at how blind I was. I ran up against a situation in my life where I was really working with a toxic person, found out lies and undercut. And I didn't even know I had a beef with this person. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have a very wise friend, seasoned marriage and family therapist for 35 years. I said, so now that I do, how do I expose him? How do I confront him? And he shocked me when he said, my recommendation is don't engage him at all. Now he knew this person. So he had a little bit like, what are you talking about? Because this is a Christian thing that, and that's when he changed my life. He goes, Gary, go through the book of Luke, count how many times Jesus walked away from somebody or let somebody walk away from him without him giving them chase. Well, I'm, I'm not clinically OCD, but I live in the neighborhood right next door to it. Right. So (laughs) when a guy I respect says, go through Luke, I have to go through all four gospels. And I wrote them down. It became the appendix to when to walk away 41 occurrences now because the synoptic gospels, some refer to the same events, but I would have always thought that was a failure. I didn't believe Jesus could ever fail. And I've quoted already Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But seven verses later, how did I never make this connection? After Jesus says, go on the offense, Matthew 7.6, seven verses later, don't, you know, I'm sending you out there, but don't throw your pearl before swine or your food to dogs or else they'll turn and tear you to pieces. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go on the offense, but watch out for these certain toxic people. Not only will they not receive what is good that you're giving them, they're going to try to rip you up. And Jesus is, the warning is, I don't want that to happen to you. And so first my eyes had to be opened up to the fact that it's okay to let people walk or for us to walk. If we're dealing with a truly toxic person, not a difficult person, not just a sinner. I'm talking about a toxic person, but where it really impacted me with marriage, Jason. And sometimes you know how God has to give you the scripture before you can relate, relate to the real life situation, just as a pastor, this was chilling to me when I'm working with a couple and look, I've seen God restore. I can't count the number of people that have told me in email or in person, we're married today because we read sacred marriage. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, that makes my heart swell. I mean, it just many, many people. So I'm always thinking God can pull difficult marriages together. But what was chilling when I was with the couple and I realized this guy didn't want his marriage to stay together to have a good marriage, but because it gave him a really sick platform to terrorize a woman as he slowly squeezed the life out of her. Mm. He got a sick satisfaction in pushing her down denying her ministry, making her feel miserable. And she was dying from within. And, you know, I, I just didn't, I didn't come to grips with how evil evil can be, how a guy can get satisfaction out of destroying someone he's supposed to be married to. So I'm not saying we look under rocks and find toxic people every time we disagree with someone or when they have a different personality. You know, I mentioned, I'm not a type A I'm not calling forceful people who can lead a church toxic. I'm, I go more the gentle approach. I'm more of a people pleaser, 
but I don't think just because you're forceful that you're toxic. So I'm not, I don't want us to apply the label too quickly to people who are different than us. But when you see people who are destroying others, they're murdering their spirit, they get spiritual satisfaction out of undercutting and bringing division into churches and whatnot. That's when I got chills. And, and I looked through all the scriptures about Jesus saying that he comes before family. And it took me a few chapters to set it up. But um, while I'm all for keeping marriages together, if the cost of keeping a marriage together is the destruction of a woman's soul, I think the cost is too high. Mm, well, yeah, that is, I just gave me chills. That is so powerful. And that's, that when you say that goes beyond just an even marriage relationship. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Parenting. <laughs> I've, I've, I've worked with parents of adult kids where they just, they're being destroyed by that. And you think, how can I, I walk away? And um, I just tell them, look, the, the father of the prodigal son didn't grab his son's knees when he left. He grabbed his son's knees when he came back. He let them walk away. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so well, I don't, I don't yeah. know if you know this part of our story. I'm, I think it, I think it is in our book. But, you know, when Trish and I, um, when everything imploded with our marriage, um, she called Focus on the Family. And they have a crisis hotline for um, couples to, for spouses to call. And they give free marriage advice over the phone. And one of the things that um, you'll have to give them the PG version of what <laughs> no, one of the this, one of the so. things that the one of the things that the counselor said is you know he's you know she kind of goes through the whole thing and, you know he's had an affair with my best friend and um, he wants yeah. to be with her he doesn't want to be with me and and the counselor said you know what if you really love him you're going to let him go and I was like what play 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 you're focused on the family you're supposed to focus on my family like i was just kind of coming unglued but you know her response was well if i let him go he's going to choose her and and the counselor said he already has Mm. you know and so it was it was this moment of clarity of she could have pursued me and enabled me and one of the things that um one of the things that I, that we say in our book is, you know, there's a difference between forgiveness and enablement. Forgiveness sets a person free from the shame of their choices. Enabling sets a person free from the consequences. Right. And, and I think so often because we either don't want to lose the relationship, we don't want to lose the status of that relationship, or we don't want to feel like a failure. We enable toxic behavior in relationships and it just be, we become a product of that relationship, and it and that's why I just it, it is you know you said revolutionary. I think it is revolutionary. H- have you gotten pushback from the Christian community? Oh yeah, I had yeah I've had one national radio guy. This is Gary. You have blown. You've had a top name in marriage ministry for fifteen years, and if you don't repent of this, you've blown it. And oh my god, um, I've had some call me a messenger of Satan. Funny thing is, I hadn't read the book. But, um, <laughs> but they were convinced what I would say in the book and Jesus yeah. would never walk away. And I said, okay, got an appendix. I've got a couple dozen references where he did. And, mm-hmm. um, so I've just, I've gotten, I'm getting more and more to the point, Justin, where, uh, yeah, I just, I'm just not worried. I, one of the chapters that changed my life was the chapter in, on Nehemiah in, in when to walk away where he's attacked and he's threatened and people pretend to be his friend and they're not his friend. And we're going to say this. And it ends with, remember me with favor, my God. 
And, and that sort of has become a life verse that what I really care is that God remembers me with favor, yeah. not what these other people think. Um, and, and so, but I, I think I've gotten far more mail of people saying, thank you. People know where you're coming from and for you bringing this, um, I'm crying tears of joy. People said they're just reading it because yeah. it really, I do try to be as nuanced as I can. Um, there's a chapter of a couple where they were both acting in toxic ways. They decided to leave the toxicity instead of the marriage mm. because they both repented. They both came to the Lord. Now the husband first, I like to tell men, this husband changed his actions for 11 months before his wife believed he was changed. Wow. So you, yeah. unilaterally, he's changing who he was. And then eventually his wife said, okay, I'm really being a jerk. He's a different man. She had her beef or legitimate beef him before she goes, but now I'm the one that's, and, and so she, by his example, came back. And so I do believe God can heal a marriage if two people will surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. But um, I, I think even Paul gives that when he, he, he uses the words of a believer and an unbeliever. But if, if somebody is acting like an unbeliever and if they're rejoicing in evil, whether they say they're a believer or not, I have a hard time believing that. And I just think I was naive about how evil evil is. I just can't um, imagine how what, what a voice and what um, validity you've given to so many people who have been made to feel like villains or sinners or yeah. outcasts by the church because they've tried everything and they've gone to counseling and their spouse won't stop having affairs or their spouse won't give up the porn addiction. Or their spouse won't give up the physical abuse. And they've been either made to feel like second-class citizens or they just have to stay because God hates divorce. And so I just, I just really appreciate yeah. the message of that book. I, I've seen this because um, working in a church, I know the parents who, I mean, if their kids are married, they're grandparent type. And I've seen this with a, of a man and I've seen it of a woman. And it was interesting to me because they're talking about two different people, two different marriages. They both said the same thing. What about their daughter? What about their son? I have my son back. Mm. I have my daughter again. One woman said she smiles now. I even occasionally hear her laughing. Mm. And they realized that they, they were so grieving because they saw their boy or girl, even though they were 30 or 40 to them, it's still their child being destroyed. And that's why I say to people in abusive relationships, if you feel guilty about leaving, you're not the only one hurting. Your kids hate seeing you abused. Yeah. Your parents are grieving seeing you abused. Your friends are paying for being abused. And if your spouse can't stop, then the only way that you can make them stop is to leave them so they don't have a platform to abuse you. You're doing a holy work there. You're saving a lot of people from pain. Don't don't get these mixed motives about, well, am I going to hurt the spouse who's hurting me? You know, that's I, I just think that's a short sided view. Of so it. good. It's like one of those hard topics that until you are a, um, a victim of it or are close to a victim, it's just really easy to dismiss of that blanketed statement of God hates divorce. And he also hates sin and sin has consequences and sin. The Bible tells us leads to death. And sometimes that's a death of a marriage out of consequences of really 
tough things. And I know that that is such a message that needs to be heard. I mean, we've had really close friends um, experience just that. And I think of a, a couple that um, we went to college with and they had three little boys and in ministry and he just went really dark and was, it was a really bad marriage. And so they ended up divorcing And what was so interesting is that she never apologized for the divorce. She had very strong boundaries, but in what you were in you pursuing holiness, like I, I do believe the truth sets you free. And so if you are pursuing holiness, the Holy spirit is going to lead you in those hard decisions. Right. And for her, she felt like God called her to not pursue her ex-husband, but not to remarry mm -hmm. and not to pursue him, to help him or get better. That was severed, but to just keep pursuing God. And she was so, um, tenacious is not the word. She was so faithful. faithful. Yeah. She yeah. was so faithful. And then eight years later, her ex-husband had a breaking and, you know, I say all the time, you can't fake brokenness, right? It, it brokenness is a posture and she had done the hard work of leaning into God. And then she was able to recognize it. And they ended up getting married about two years later. Wow. And so wow. I divorce doesn't box God in like, right. Divorce still doesn't have the final say, but I just love this. It's interesting that God would use you, Gary, to like have this like blow up message with sacred marriage. And you're right. Like back in the late nineties, early two thousands, we, this was taboo. You didn't talk about this. And then now here, God has this next message for you. Um, where people, if anything, you have gone first to help people go second. And I think those are the most powerful ministries. So I want to speak uh, as we close. I want to. Could I? I'm sorry, yeah. Jess. I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but I want to add something to what Trish said because yeah. it, it was so good. A pastor who started preaching out of Window Walk Away after it came out had a great line. I wish I would have put in the book. It referring to a toxic relationship in his own life. He said, "Walking away isn't writing off," and that's what your friend represented. Yeah. It's it's a strategy for the time saying, you're not going to treat me that way. It's not safe for me to be around you. But that's what removes the guilt. You're not necessarily, it's like the prodigal son. When he comes back repentant, the father's all over him. Yeah. But he's not going to go stay with him while he's with the prostitutes, while he's rolling in the mud and getting drunk and all that. So uh, I, I'm glad you, you said that, Trisk. It's a really important point. Yeah, so good. Yeah. We call it separation for the purpose of reconciliation. And reconciliation doesn't necessarily have a timetable on it. It's whenever both people have been willing to be repentant and, and come back to the Lord. Yes, yes. Well, I think everyone now knows why you're my favorite author. And well, uh, why I, I, you know, I was fanboying, fanboying 10 years ago in Nashville when we met. I'm, I'm doing it again now. I, just, uh, <laughs> I, I love your stuff. I love your heart. I'm just grateful for... Um, your investment in our marriage through your writing, through your ministry, um, through you writing. For those of you that don't know, uh, we've updated Beyond Ordinary. Uh, we had an eighth printing here recently. And so now every, anybody- Congratulations. Who, yeah, yeah. So anybody who orders Beyond Ordinary now uh, will get a forward written by uh, Mr. Gary Thomas, which I'm really excited about. Thanks so much for your time, Gary. All right. Thank you. Good see to ya. see you. Bye. 
Well, hopefully you guys are as big as fanboys and girls of Gary Thomas as I am after that interview. <laughs> uh, I just love Gary and just so thankful for his generosity and sharing his wisdom with us. Hey, and don't forget about the Marriage 24-7. Any information you want to know about it, you can find in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. 